coming up. Happy fifth birthday, streetcar! Happy birthday, Kansas City streetcar! Marking five years of the streetcar, but when do we get to ride the rails down to the plaza? And after a pandemic year, will people still want to hop on board? Plus, with so much money now sloshing around Washington for infrastructure, is this the time to expand the route to Kansas City's east side? We ask the man in charge, the head of the streetcar, joins us next. Plus, the mayor in Washington this week rubbing shoulders with our nation's top political leaders. He rubs shoulders with us straight ahead. We talk crime, police, and new parenthood in this Newsmaker edition of the program. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gourley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nick Haynes. Great to have you with us. We're giving our reporters the week off and giving your eyes a rest, as all of our guests won't be on a Zoom screen, but in the flesh right here in person. I want to start by mentioning an email I received from viewer Norm, who says he's getting fed up of watching the show because we spend too much time talking about politics. If I'm interested in politics, he says, I can simply tune into CNN or Fox News. Please spend more time on non-political issues. How about some coverage on economic development? Well, who says Nick Haynes doesn't listen? Norm, this week I want to bring you one of the biggest economic developments currently underway in our metro. It's the less-talked-about streetcar project that, if you've been down Main Street lately, is causing up uh, streets to be torn up, lanes to be closed, and plenty of aggravation for motorists. And though I missed mentioning it last week, it's now celebrating its fifth birthday. Joining us now is the man in charge, Tom Gerrand, executive director of the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. And you struggled even to get in the building today because I know <laughs> our roads are all shut off, the lanes are closed. It's almost impossible to get in here. We're giving you a taste of your own medicine there and how drivers are experiencing all of this streetcar construction, Tom. It's the price of progress, Nick. You finish with your hangover for all the celebrations over the weekend, the champagne for the fifth anniversary. Most of us want to know, you know, when do we get yeah. to ride this thing down to, we know it's going to go down to the plaza, it's going to go down to UMKC after a vote three years ago now. But yeah. when, when are we going to get to ride these uh, well, rails? Well, we've got a lot of work still to do. You see the utility work right now, sewer, water, private utility work. Our streetcar work will follow, really starting in earnest early next year. And then we've got a few years of construction. It'll be 2024 before we're, we're, we're all said and done. It's been free thus far. Is it still going to be free on this extended route? It will be free. Yes, it will. Have you learned lessons from what you did in the existing infrastructure, what you did with the first route that you were going to apply to this one? Without a doubt. Uh, there's some things that are going to be obvious that the, that the rider, that the public will see and notice, like transit-only lanes that give streetcars an exclusive lane to, to move faster and avoid traffic. There'll be some things that you won't see that we've learned. Changes in the mix of the concrete, for instance. A lot of us during this pandemic here have avoided crowds, and many of us are still nervous about mm -hmm. going back into crowds again. Are you worried about people not wanting to hop on these streetcars uh, right after this, as we come out of this post-pandemic? Well, it's going to be a long-term recovery for the city, and it's going to be a long-term recovery for transit. We're already seeing uh, great numbers in terms of increased ridership. There's a lot we're doing with regards to mitigations. Masks are still required on board the streetcar and all public transportation, and we're seeing riders come back. In the media, we try to expose problems, and we're more interested in problems oftentimes than solutions. I get that. But it's interesting, at the same time that the Kansas City streetcar was started five years ago, Cincinnati was doing the same plan 
same, similar type of route with exactly the same uh, streetcars as we had from the same manufacturer, and yet they've had so many problems. Few people wanted to ride it, and they actually shut down during the entire pandemic because of budget woes. Here's a quick snippet from local news coverage in Cincinnati. No riders since the March arrival of the pandemic. All five streetcars that are in motion at various times to keep them fit and limber were immobile today. They're not using it. It's inexplicable to me. We're the only city across the country that's doing this, and it's embarrassing. Ridership on the streetcar remains stagnant. It is a different story, though, in Kansas City. I'm here on the Kansas City streetcar during the weekday lunch rush, and as you can see, it's standing room only. Now, that has to be flattering to have other people come to Kansas City to see how this is working. We take great pride in, in the success, the foundation, and the support we've had from so many people uh, to make it possible. There must have been some things, though, that you didn't anticipate in the five years that you've been running this streetcar. What was the biggest thing that you didn't expect? Well, we didn't anticipate that demand and the utilization would be double what we forecast. We didn't anticipate we'd have to buy two additional vehicles for, uh, to support the additional service and the demand downtown. And we didn't necessarily anticipate that we would have such a push so quickly to grow the system beyond just downtown. And you have all of the money, by the way, for this extension. I mean, we, we heard at some point that, you know, yeah. you're still waiting for certain dollars from the federal mm -hmm. government, perhaps from Jefferson yeah. City, or still finding loose coins from City Hall. Do you have all the cash you need? We do. And actually, we've got two projects. We've got the Main Street extension south, and we've got a riverfront, Berkeley Riverfront extension to the north. Both are fully funded, so as challenging as a year as it's been, over the last uh, 24 months, we've secured over $200 million in national discretionary funding to build out our system, and those will be the largest streetcar projects really in the country uh, at the time that they're, they're ultimately completed. We're in a time now also, of course, of we are much more concerned about those who have been left behind. Social justice <coughs> is front and center on the nation's agenda. Is this the time then to also be considering a new route that would actually take the streetcar not just on that north-south yeah. corridor, but over to the east side as well. Absolutely. As we move forward, this project becomes uh, closer to completion. It moves beyond a downtown circulator to a regional spine of the system. Will that allow that streetcar then to move from uh, yeah. Truce to Prospect? connecting to the 18th and Vine Jazz District. Absolutely. It's, it's a great time to be putting forward a plan. And we as a city, as a region, actually, have to be prepared to do the hard work to build a consensus around the plan, to build the local resources that will take to sustain it over a long period of time. That's what we've done on Main Street. That's what we've done with the starter line. And that's what we need to do as we grow the systems, uh, bus and rail, uh, moving forward. Have you gone as far as to think about a specific route, though? Could that, you know, 18th Street or Linwood Boulevard, for instance? So 31st and Linwood and 18th Street, as well as Independence Avenue, are three east-west connections on our regional transit plan, our regional vision. And absolutely, those corridors have potential. Uh, they've been studied in the past, and there's opportunities to move projects and plans forward uh, with strong community support. Well, Tom Guerin, thank you for allowing us to celebrate your fifth birthday with us, and thank you for being with us on Weekend Review. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Up next, Matt Quinton Lucas, fresh from his trip to Washington, is here. We talk crime, police, and new parenthood. But first, some of the top local stories grabbing our headlines this week. 
With gas prices at their highest level in seven years, Missouri getting ready to raise those prices some more. State lawmakers approving a 12-cent hike in the gas tax. It'll be phased in starting in October. It's expected to bring in $500 million more a year to improve highways and bridges. Missouri currently has the second lowest gas tax in the nation. Missouri Governor Mike Parson says it's time to get back to work. He's ending all federal pandemic-related unemployment benefits. He's also told all state workers to report back to the office in person starting on Monday. Protests continue over school mask mandates. 16 parents in Johnson County now taking their case to federal court, saying the N-word costs the Olathe North baseball coach his job. And the Jackson County prosecutor says, I'm sorry, to a Missouri man who spent more than 40 years behind bars for a murder she says he didn't commit. KCK hires a new police chief. Carl Oakman is currently one of the highest-ranking officers in the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. Jackson County announcing a $5 million fix for vaccine hesitancy on Kansas City's east side. They're promising door-to-door campaigns, sidewalk tents, and training influencers to get the message out from the pulpit to barbershops. The Royals testing the patience of fans after an excruciating losing streak. And Chiefs tickets now on sale, and they're planning on filling every seat in a full stadium. No word on whether that means masks or whether you'll have to be vaccinated to attend. Just some of the stories making news in Kansas City. Another big story was Mayor Quinton Lucas in Washington rubbing shoulders with top political leaders. He joins Speaker Nancy Pelosi to advocate in a national press conference for the new Biden infrastructure bill. How about we all agree on these sorts of things that have been challenges in cities large and small for generations? And how about we all agree that infrastructure itself is not partisan. It is not political. It is a basic and core service that we need to make sure that we address. That was just a few hours ago. He got off the plane and he's with us now. Thank you for that. Did you also get to come off the plane with a big blank check from Speaker Pelosi saying, I've got your back, Mayor. Spend wisely and it's all yours. Well, we did not get the blank check, but I did have the chance to talk to leaders, Republicans and Democrats, all of whom say infrastructure is important for the future of our country, important for Kansas City. I'm looking to them to get it done because Kansas City has the need. And whether infrastructure is defined narrowly or broadly, Kansas City has needs, roads, bridges, housing, cybersecurity. That's what we were sharing in Washington. You know, I looked it up. There are about 20,000 mayors in the United States. There were just three there with Nancy Pelosi and the top head of the transportation transportation committee, the mayor of L.A., the mayor of uh, Richmond, Virginia, and you. How did that happen? The way I think it happens is this. I have built relationships during my time as mayor of Kansas City and the U.S. Conference of Mayors. I have had the fortune to get to know some cabinet secretaries. And I think people recognize that there's a lot going on in Kansas City, from zero fare transit to streetcar investments, the improved KCI terminal, the jobs we're bringing to Kansas City. I think they say we have a mayor that's doing things. We have a city that's getting things done. What is the top item on your infrastructure list, Mayor Lucas? You know, I think my top item really is programmatic spending. Every federal program we get, they usually say, here's $2 million, spend it, and we look for a bridge or something of that sort. How about we fully fund zero fare transit for years in advance? How about we make sure that we're looking at east-west connections in Kansas City to help break the truce divide? You know, we just had the head of the streetcar authority on this program just before you, and we talked about this east link there with the streetcar. Is that something you would push with this infrastructure money that we could actually be connecting 18th and Vine, Troost and Prospect? 
prospect with the streetcar? Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that is unfortunate about the conversation that has been streetcar is that ever since at least it was first attempted and unsuccessful to go east, there haven't been other efforts to do so. It is very hard for me to tell somebody who's sitting at 39th and Prospect that this is for you if it doesn't have at least some sort of thing that links to arteries on Prospect. And so I do think that it's important for us to make sure that as we look at the future of streetcar, we are looking at all of our communities. But I don't think really streetcar is the focus exclusively. I'm a guy who likes buses. I grew up riding buses. And I think that sort of transit that can link somebody who has a job, let's say, at KCI, right, but lives in southeast Kansas City, or somebody who's working in Gardner at an Amazon facility who lives in Raytown, those are the sorts of links we need to make in this region to really make it work. And I do think that is core infrastructure about the people of Kansas City in this region. You also like pedestrians. Uh, did we have chaos on Kansas City streets this week as you return from Washington, D.C., now that we do not have a jaywalking law anymore in Kansas City? What happened? We had anything but chaos. Because here, here's something I've worked on my entire time as mayor, which is laws that aren't being enforced fairly and are largely out of date. We had data that suggested that more than two-thirds of our arrests for jaywalking were for black individuals. However, most of those tickets were ones that didn't really need to be written. We see every day in our neighborhood streets, there are kids who are playing basketball in the street. There are kids doing any number of things. Well, let's find other ways to create safety in our community. And in my time as mayor, you've seen us decriminalize marijuana, decriminalize jaywalking, decriminalize parking tickets, because we don't need people to get wrapped in to the criminal justice system for these petty offenses. We are too busy with a police department that's fighting violent crime. We are too busy with so many other issues. Let's find other ways to create pro-social behavior, but not criminal sanctions for everything. Are there unintended consequences at the same time you were decriminalizing jaywalking, the state of Missouri coming out with a report that showed more pedestrians died on Missouri roads in 2020 than any year in history? I think there is far more to be said about pedestrian fatalities with how we design our roads, the speeds we have our roads in, and not building superhighways through the core communities that we have in Kansas City. The more that we make pedestrian access important in our planning and development codes, in the roads that we're building, and renovations that we're doing, that's the way that we make people safer. And I do not think having officers that are standing out and writing several hundred tickets is going to make a difference. I ask anybody watching this show, have you ever jaywalked? Everyone will say yes. Question, have you gotten a ticket? Most will say no. There are other ways that we create that pro-social behavior. And for example, when I was in college, they actually just put up a barrier in one area where we were all crossing the street, right? It's those sorts of things that you do, not trying to criminalize people. This last year has shown us that one way that we address police community relations is making sure that the police are working with you on only serious, very violent things or building community relations in a positive way. Writing a bunch of tickets isn't the way to get it done. Let's talk about police officers. And as we record this program, the Missouri legislature is moving towards putting on the governor's desk a bill that would end the restriction on police officers having to live in Kansas City. You're upset about that. Why, why, what difference would that actually make in your view? Not a fan at all, but first of all, let's assess what they did. This is not a proposal that saves a single life in Kansas City. It doesn't solve a single crime in Kansas City. It doesn't address any of the core public safety issues like investments in mental health that we have been asking for from the legislature for years. 
All it does is continues this cat and mouse game that the legislature has played with Kansas City that in some ways is just trying to, in a way, destabilize police community relations. You talk to most Kansas Cityans, they like living in Kansas City. They respect living in Kansas City and they like that their officers live in Kansas City as well. This is not a benefit for us. This was a problem that did not exist in Kansas City. We can recruit officers. It was the St. Louis Police Department that was having any number of issues. Kansas City has 14 school districts. It's a big city. You can live on a farm, you can live in a downtown high-rise. And so we are proud of the diversity of options we have for our law enforcement officers. We're proud of our rank and file. I do not know why anyone would pass a bill like this claiming that it's helping solve anything in Kansas City other than to antagonize people and to tear our community apart at a time when we're trying to enhance police community relations. We have the head of the police union, though, this week saying they, they may be on target here to lose 110 police officers this year uh, from retirement and going off to other things, from private security to construction. If it's not a problem right now with recruiting, aren't you going to be short of officers in the future? Well, first of all, you, you should have other sources than just the head of the police union who wants more money for the police department. I had that critique from that story from day one. But assuming arguendo that he is correct, I'm someone who voted for, proposed a budget that allowed $250 million, a quarter billion dollars, to go to the Kansas City Police Department. Most city departments were cut by 11% this year. Our cut at the police department when we had budget challenges was only 4%. This city has invested mightily in our police department. I fully support having new recruiting classes. We continue to try to work with the police department to make sure we can get those. And I'll make one reminder. Without having local control of the police department, that $250 million, perhaps some of that could be spent on a new recruiting class. We've had a number of retirements, sure, but that means you also have a number of salary dollars that are freed up. Where are those going? How can we make sure that we get classes in that way rather than just arguing the sky is falling? That's what we're interested in working on. I don't think it's the sort of thing that suggests that we need people to come in from any number of other jurisdictions around Missouri. Uh, I respect them all, but I'd just love for somebody to live here in Kansas City rather than perhaps Sedalia if they want to police our streets. We are tracking just as many homicides this year as we did last year, which was a historic record-breaking year for homicides in the entire city throughout yes. history. Um, but a lot of people think, well, they, nothing has changed. Nothing's happening. There's no fix. What have you done? That's a fair critique. I think it's a very fair critique. Clearly, what we have done, not just this mayor, but mayors for as long as I've lived, and it's been 36 years, uh, we have not made the dramatic changes we need. I will note one thing we have done. We've continued to talk about police budgets, and sometimes we've hired more officers, we've hired fewer. It doesn't seem as if hiring fits the bill. You know the difference that I think makes? If we get our legislature to understand that investing in things like Medicaid expansion, health care for people in Kansas City, investing in things like better wages for Kansas Cityans so they will be at work, those those are the things long-term that can help us make a difference. It gives people hope. It gives people opportunity. But instead, if you just say to everybody, we're going to keep the same social conditions forever, the same social conditions that I've seen in this city for two generations, then you will continue to see these challenges as we've seen throughout the country. So that's where I want to see some level of difference. I was in Washington visiting with the Department of Justice. We look for more grants to invest in the aforementioned mental health, invested in conflict resolution in our public schools. There's much that we can do. We need to do more. And the answer is not just as simple as the number of officers on a ledger. We have got to invest in communities and neighborhoods. We need that help from the legislature. Thus far, we have not received it. That help from the legislature is that they would allow cities like Kansas City to set their own gun rules. That was something you've been talking about this week. But this is a legislature that has not allowed you or, in fact, is, doesn't trust you to spend your COVID money. 
uh, fairly and, and accurately. Why do you think they're going to allow you to change laws here in Kansas City when it comes to guns? You know, hope springs eternal. I will continue to work with everyone that I need to to make sure we get things done for Kansas City. And sometimes that is asking year after year after year. But we will continue to do that. Kansas City is an economic engine and a driver for the state of Missouri and the state of Kansas, frankly. This region is so important and key and a blemish that we have is public safety. So I would ask, while all of our state senators and representatives are back home over the recess period, that they think about, well, how can we make Kansas City safer and stronger long term? I have visited Jefferson City a number of times. I visited Republicans in Washington. I will keep doing that, even if it falls on deaf ears for now. If they give you that right, what policy change would you want to see happen? I think it's very clear that we should not have guns in the hands of those who are domestic violence offenders. It's very clear that we should not have guns in the hands of minors. These are things that are in federal law right now, but largely not enforced by our U.S. Attorney's Office. We can't get state charges on it. We're trying to pass ordinances just to do things like that. That's the help that we could use. Why should someone who's in an abusive relationship have to live in fear? Why are we not making sure that at least we're addressing domestic safety in households? Those are simple things that we can do. And by the way, those are dozens of homicides, dozens of shootings in Kansas City each and every every year. Everything can help us save a life. Those are the changes that I want to see us make, and I want to see us actually be realistic about addressing the root causes of violent crime, something that we do not do. We need more money for our mental health triage center in Kansas City so people who are committing minor offenses don't become major violent offenders. That's where help could be. That's the difference we need. Two weeks ago, Johnson County removed its mask mandate, and from all the reports that we see, there hasn't been these mask disturbances out on the streets and altercations between store owners and employees and customers. The police haven't been called in. Does that give you pause now to say perhaps we want to drop the mask mandate in Kansas City now too? Well, I've said a few times that uh, Kansas City will continue to be responsible on its mask mandate, always has been, always listens to science and public health recommendations. When we issued our last order, so now it is just masks required indoors. If you are unvaccinated, I will note we are, so we get to uh, not wear masks right now. We said that hopefully this would be our last order. I fully expect Kansas City's order to expire on May 28th, and after that we'll continue to push public health advice and warnings, trying to make sure people get vaccinated, focusing on that next phase of how we fight COVID-19. But I'm proud that our interventions in Kansas City let this region save thousands of lives. That's something I will always be proud of, and I think that's most important. We did not abandon our elderly populations. We did not abandon our vulnerable populations, and I think there are people alive in Kansas City today thanks to those public health recommendations I received from Dr. Archer that we made sure we put into effect in Kansas City. The Chiefs just announced they are going to be coming back this next season with a full capacity. They're selling every seat at Arrowhead Stadium. So uh, will they be wearing masks under your policy then if you're dropping the mask mandate in May? No. Would they have to be vaccinated? Well, I hope the NFL continues to work with public health leaders in all of its jurisdictions to make sure that they're responsible and they're safe. I was proud that Kansas City was the first stadium to reopen, but we reopened responsibly. Our model for reopening was what was used by Governor Cuomo in New York when the Bills play a playoff game. It was used all around the country. We will continue to make sure we're safe. We continue to work with the Kansas City Royals on reopening. I even had a conversation with Sporting Kansas City about reopening, and I'll note that they don't play in Kansas City, Missouri. I think it's because we have been leaders in what responsible reopening looks like. We will continue to have those conversations to keep people safe. And Governor Cuomo, by the way, has now announced in New York that you, when they come back, these stadiums, there will be two different sections. There will be a vaccinated section and an unvaccinated section. 
Is that something that you think we would do that in Kansas City too? There are a number of differences between myself and Andrew Cuomo, and that will just be one of them. I don't know how you administratively work out such a thing. I hope that working with the teams, the National Football League, Major League Baseball, and the Royals here throughout the summer, we find a way to open in a reasonable, responsible way. There still is only so much control that we can have over individuals. We need to make sure we're balanced with this, and more than anything, we got to make sure we're getting people vaccinated. That's why I've been going door to door. I was door to door on the West Side on Cinco de Mayo to make sure that folks knew vaccines are available, they're close, they're safe, and there's something that's imperative for keeping this community, making this community safer. The last time you sat around this table, you were so-called footloose and fancy-free, so to speak. Now you are a married man <laughs> and you are a father. How has that changed the nature of how you're doing your job in the mayor's office? I, I think that uh, as, as many of the parents watching recognize, it, it helps change your balance of things. Some days you are very stressed, and Lord knows this is still a stressful job. But when you see a baby staring at you and you see their little eyes and you realize that there's a lot more there, then you recognize that... Uh, uh, there's something more important than what we're fighting about at City Council that week. I'm incredibly blessed. I'm incredibly fortunate. I thank Kansas Cityans for all of their well wishes. Uh, but I also have to say I'm incredibly impressed by every mother and father because going through the first few weeks, I don't know how people can handle it without as much sleep, but we get by. Now, you didn't want to say too much about it before. You got married, and then weeks later did you reveal that. And you also, you know, we only found out later, of course, that you were, you were going to be a father. What were you worried about in terms of revealing that information sooner? You know, I enjoy uh, interacting with folks. I enjoy being the mayor of Kansas City. I don't like my family getting pulled into a lot of things. This last year has introduced me, unfortunately, to a very negative underbelly of folks that attack families, that uh, attack at, at folks' homes, that really pull out a lot of negativity that I can handle. Uh, I think I have the thick skin to handle, although sometimes it gets to me, but I don't want them to have to deal with it. And so I have been fairly judicious about not really sharing pictures of, of my baby's face, about not bringing my wife into some of the debates that I have. It turns out there are a lot of angry people right now in our country, and I hope we get back to a time where we can be happier and celebrate those types of uh, life opportunities, but I just thought that it'd be better for me to, to take the uh, arrows that come my way about masks or anything under the sun, not forcing my family to do the same. When you announced that you had got married, that you had the baby, I thought no longer is he going to be interested in running for Roy Blunt's U.S. Senate seat, and yet I still see on NBC News your name is still mentioned for this. So you're still interested in that? Well, you know, I will say this. My priority one is my family. Priority two is Kansas City and making sure things work here. But I think priority three of mine is making sure that voices like ours, reasonable voices that care about the future of Missourians getting good health care, Missourians being safe, Missourians getting fair wages, is something that is vital for all of us. And so that's why I want to make sure that there is somebody who runs in the next election who will speak uh, to those types of issues. I hope the Democrats have a standard bearer to do that, but if, if we do not, I say that as one, that's certainly something I would explore and would be interested in. I would ask the indulgence of my wife, the indulgence of my family to perhaps uh, see what that would look like. But not making any declarations on that now, I have a big job and a lot of work to do as mayor of Kansas City, a job I love. And I'm going to let you go ahead and do that right now. Thank you for stopping by right after arriving at KCI Airport from Washington. We appreciate you being on Week in Review. Our reporters are back next week. Until then, from all of us here at Kansas City PBS, be well, keep calm, and carry on.